right, this morning we want to just want to say welcome to folks that are here. We have a jam-packed <laughs> 10 o'clock service. It's great. And uh, we want to say hello to the folks at home. You're our largest congregation. So uh, we just want to say if, we, if you need to uh, connect with us, just um, drop us an email or give us a ring on, on a landline, and we'd be glad to uh, connect with you and help you out. But if you have your Bibles, if you come with me to uh, John chapter 3 this morning, we're going to be looking at uh, verse 22 through the end of the chapter. And uh, let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this morning and just really great to be able to be together and to, to worship you. Uh, Lord, we thank you for that. Uh, Lord, as we look at your word this morning, we pray, Lord, that you'd speak to our hearts and... Uh, and just encourage us to grow uh, in the place and in the circle and the sphere uh, where, where you have placed us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let me just start out by saying uh, right off, uh, we're going to be looking at some, some leadership dynamics out of the text this morning. And uh, when, when we talk about leadership, uh, so often uh, people just check right out. As soon as you mention that word, they say, no way, I ain't, I'm not a leader. I never want to be a leader. I, I don't even want to go there. Uh, so let me use a little bit different language maybe to help you this morning. Everyone has a circle that they live in, right? Everyone has a sphere of influence that you're connected with other people. And if you define leadership at its most basic level, Leadership is nothing more than, than letting your heart touch another person's heart and so that you uh, influence them in one direction or another. I remember a couple of years ago, uh, I was talking about leadership, and, and as, as soon as I got done, uh, this dear, lovely lady came right to me. And, and when that happens, when you're a pastor, what do you do? You run real quick, but I couldn't, couldn't get away from her. And she put her finger right in my chest, you know, and she goes, she goes, I'm not a leader. I don't want to be a leader, and I don't want to hear anything more about it. I'm like, uh, and, I, and uh, we got along well, so I just laughed. And then I said, yeah, but what about your kids? And what about your grandkids? And what about the Sunday school that you help out in? And what about your neighbor? And what about? And she said, ah, you. And she, and she walked away. I said, oh, praise the Lord. But we all, we all have this place that we live in, and, uh, and it applies to high schoolers too, you know? It applies to junior high schoolers, is that we all have connections that we can influence, uh, you know, one way or the other. And so I just want to encourage you in that is that, you know, if I use the term leadership or talk about leadership, um, you know, just don't write me off in the sense that, um, that you have people you touch. You have people that you influence. And that's what it's about. And so when we come to the text here this morning, we see we could divide it up into three little sections. We could look at the setting and the place, the thing that precipitates the main event. Uh, we're going to look at that basically in 22 through 26. And then you see, you see 
the Baptist, John the Baptist, respond to that situation. And he responds in really some pretty fascinating ways when you think about uh, leadership and how to work with people. And then finally, you see the gospel presentation again, which we've been looking at, encouraging ourselves in. And that's the, the last verse of the chapter when we look at verse 36. You see that, that just again and again and again, um, uh, John the Apostle keeps front and center with us the the importance of a of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and, and what he does for us and and how he relates to us. And so let's look at the setting and and what precipitates this whole uh, fancy word pericope or this whole little narrative, uh, this whole little section uh, in the text, and we come to chapter three, uh, verse uh, twenty. 22. It says, after this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Aeon near Salem because water was plentiful there, and people were coming and being baptized. And so you got two groups of guys that are, are baptizing. You got, you got the Baptist crew, you know, that was in one place and then two miles away, you got Jesus' Jesus's disciples baptizing. And so they're causing a lot of attention to be drawn to them because it's a, it's a, there's a, a, a fervor of people turning uh, back to God. And there's an excitement about it, and it's in that context that we read on. And it says, parenthetically, it says, for John had not yet, had not yet been put in prison. Now, a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And so what they're looking at is, like, who's got the best baptism? Like, who, whose baptism is most effective? Whose baptism should we go with? I mean, John is, you know, what about you, John, the Baptist? You know, what about your baptism? You know, is it the best? And then they look at Jesus and they go, oh, man, is Jesus the, is, does Jesus have the best baptism? And to immediately move to application, it kind of goes like this in our day. Well, look at this church over here. Are they doing the right thing? And then they look at another, you look at another church and say, is this other church doing the right thing? And then you get down to, you know, you get down to nickels, numbers, and noses, right? Well, they've got more people than they do. So, you know, they must got it right. And then in the heart of man, there is a rivalry. There is a competitiveness that is ungodly, that doesn't produce anything good. There is, get this, there is a comparison that we make that is not helpful in our own lives and in comparing ourselves with other people or comparing what God may be doing in one place with what God may do in another place. Those things do not bring growth in our life. They actually pull us down. So when you compare yourself to another person, there is no wisdom in doing that. Because you only can be who? You only can be who you are. Like, I look at my son Timothy, and my son Timothy's like six feet tall, and here I am, five, six. And it's driven me crazy, my adult life. I'm like, Lord, what is the problem here? 
I mean, couldn't you split the difference? I mean, couldn't he be like five six, and maybe I could be like five nine? I I think I, you know, I, I think I would like that. Or you compare yourselves where when I went to school, you know, I went to school with, I mean, these smart, I mean, unbelievable smart people I went to school with people that graduated from Harvard and Princeton and Yale, and and here I am. Where did you go to school? Oh, I I went to UMass Boston. And when you compare yourself with someone, you're not, you're not operating in the grace of God. You're not encouraging your own heart. You're not encouraging other people. You're just comparing them in such a way that does what? It pulls you down and discourages you. And so there was these two camps going on here that they were comparing one another. And this is nothing new. This is nothing new. We could look at, if you have your Bibles, we could look at Matthew chapter 20. Come there with me. That, that this uh, desire to compare, this uh, desire to, to have rivalries, this desire to have uh, unhealthy, you know, competitions, we come to Matthew chapter 20. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee, came up to Jesus. Now, you know who the sons of Zebedee are. They're called the sons of what? Thunder. They are James and John. And they, li they like to call down fire on Samaritan villages. And Jesus says, knock it off, boys. And now his, the, the mother comes and says, you know, oh, my boys are so special to me. They're the best boys in the whole world, Jesus. You know, they went to Sunday school. They did everything right. And there's a comparison being made, and Jesus will have nothing to do with it. Look what he says in verse 25. It says, But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you would be what? Would be your servant. And Jesus kind of nails this home. Come back to John we could look at John chapter 13, and uh, it's the, the, the setting here, John chapter 13, is the Feast of Passover. And once again, Jesus is trying to uh, communicate to them to the, the nature of leadership. Look at John 13, verse 1. So now, before, now, before the Feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father... Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And during supper, when the devil had already put in it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hand and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper, he laid aside his, his outer garments and taking a towel and a basin, Jesus did what? He washed their feet. And then he says to them, I'm giving you an example, and I want you to do what? I want you to do the same. And some churches during um, Holy Week, they have foot washing ceremonies where the congregation lines up, and it's random. You know, you get up there, one person washes your feet, another person washes another person's feet. I just really have one question for you this morning. Who'd want to do that? You know, there was one crazy lady in the first service, one, that, that, that said the same thing. 
But, you know, Jesus wanted them to get the message about what, what ministry really looked like. And John helps us understand that. In the next section, John models for us, shows us what a transformed heart looks like, a heart that's transformed by Christ. How, what's their attitude? How do they minister? Come back to the text with me. And we'll pick it up in verse 25. Now, a dis discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John, and he did what? He absolutely ignored their question. Why? Because it was just a question that would avoid the issue of a heart. That's all it was. It was just a distraction. So they didn't have to deal with the heart issue. And the heart issue was the same that the sons of Zebedee and their mother were dealing with. Who's the greatest? If you're a manager, uh, um, you know, you have people working for you, this happens all the time. You, you have a meeting and someone, someone wants to get you off topic and they do what? They, they, they introduce a bozo question. And what you want to talk about at your meeting is, is performance and, and why your team's not performing. And then usually the person that asks the question to distract you, that's the one you really want to talk to about issues of non-performance. And John exercises leadership that has wisdom. He discerns what is most important, and he spends his time dealing what's most important, not what's presented. And in the business world, you have to do that, or else you, you end up doing what? Nothing. All day long, you deal with secondary, tertiary, or extraneous things, rather than dealing with what the issue is before your team. And John does that. He says, they say to him, they, and they appeal to him, they say, Rabbi, he who is with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. And John will have none of it. John will have none of it. And he points to the transformational work that God wants to do in all of our hearts so that we can be effective in loving people and caring for people and having a good marriage, and having a good friendship, and having good relationships in the church. Drop down to verse 30. John the Baptist says this, Jesus must what? Increase, and I must what? Decrease. You want a good marriage? Your spouse needs to flourish, and I need to decrease. You want a good friendship? I'm going to put the needs of my friend, I'm going to be concerned about the needs of my friend more than my needs. You want a good church that reaches the community? I'm going to put the needs of the people 
that come into the church, into our fellowship, above my own needs. I'll never forget years ago, went down to Florida. Every year I'd go down to Florida, right about this time, how convenient, go to a conference. <laughs> and um, went down to Florida one time. I said, oh, I want, I, want to go to the, I want to go to this conference, you know, this big church conference, you know. So I, so I pick it out, I go there, and they have, uh, it's like Disney. Like they get these, these trams. This is church, by the way. They get these trams that they pick you up from the lot and drive you into the church. I was like, I think I'd like a church like this with trams. Maybe I could, maybe we could have those, those little pedal bikes they have, you know. Maybe we could use those. And so I go into this big church, thousands of people, and I get there early because I want what? I want a good seat. So I, go, I get in there early, and, and I, I check it out, and I say, oh, I want the first balcony. It's like going to a Bruins game. You know, you want the loge box, you know? I, 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 want the, I, want the, I want the front row on the front balcony. So I, I get in there, and I say, oh, what seat would I? And I get a seat, and it's like, I don't know, 15 minutes to go, showtime. And uh, so I sit down in the seat. And the band starts, and man, the band is hot. Band is like unbelievable. Vocals are out of this world, and uh, and I'm worshiping the Lord. And um, now this place seats thousands of people, and I'm worshiping the Lord. And I and the, and someone taps on the back of my shoulder, and there's this couple standing there, and they go, "You're in our seats." It's <laughs> like. It's <laughs> like hundreds of seats open. He must what? Increase. And I must decrease. And if Jesus increases in your life, here's what John says. He uses this, he, he really nails them. He uses the illustration out of marriage. Uh, 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 ex, uh, excuse me, an illustration out of a wedding. Take a look at it with me. Verse uh, 28. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. Verse 29. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. Have you ever been to a wedding? where the best man tries to steal the show. Becky, you ever been to a wedding like that? The best man tries to steal the show. <laughs> I've been to a lot of weddings, and there's always someone that forgets. It's not about them. It's about the bride and the bridegroom. And all these peeps, they, they understood what John was saying. It's not about the best man. It's about the bridegroom and the bride. And when John, when John says this to them, he says, when I hear the bridegroom's voice, and who's he speaking about? Speaking about Jesus, right? He says, when I hear his voice, oh, man, 
I am so happy for him. I am so thrilled at my friend getting married to this, this amazing woman. My joy is complete. And the lesson here for us, the application for us, if you want more joy in your life, then learn to listen to Jesus. Through his word, through prayer, through walking in his steps. And you'll have joy that transcends any circumstance that you face in life. Yes. Nothing, nothing can keep that joy at bay. Nothing. Neither height nor depth. Nothing's present. Nothing's to come. Neither life nor death. Any, not, nothing can keep you from that love and that joy that comes from knowing Jesus. And John gives us the foundation of that in the next few verses. He speaks about the preeminence and the glory of Jesus. Let's read it together. Uh, take a look at verse 32. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent, speaking of Jesus, utters the words of God. For he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Speaking of Colossians chapter 1, and the preeminence and the glory and the majesty and the authority of Jesus Christ. John wraps John the Apostle wraps up the testimony of John the Baptist by just affirming again what makes transformation possible in all of our lives, that being a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. He speaks of that in the last verse of chapter 3. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains on him. I would hope that you take away this morning this simple truth is that we all have a sphere. We all have a circle. We all have people that we love and friends that we care about. And as as you put those people above you, ahead of you, as you allow them to flourish and you to decrease, you're going to have some amazing relationships. You're going to have some amazing friendships. You could even turn your marriage around by putting another person first and you second. The greatest truth here is that if you put Jesus first, if you allow him to increase in your life, you're going to have more joy and more happiness, more peace, more hope than you ever thought possible in your life, because that is the promise that we have from our Savior, that our joy 
John 15, 11, that our joy may be full. That is what a transformed heart looks like. More of Christ, less of me, more of Jesus, and more joy in my life. You say amen? Let's prepare our hearts to uh, receive.